welcome to Three at the Back, the football analytics podcast from OptiPro. Today we're recording from a, uh, a lobby bar in downtown Philadelphia where we've just held our first OptiPro soccer event. Relatively similar to our OptiPro analytics forum, it's something that um, the listeners might be more familiar with. We've had a showcase of sort of analytical presentations, panel discussions, looking at how we can we can answer these questions using approaches that um, that apply new models, new techniques, and new ways in which teams can can learn how to apply data. You can um, you can search OptiPro soccer on Twitter. The um, the hashtag to find a bit more from some of the event, and we'll be releasing the um, the presentations over the coming weeks, and we'll chat a bit, bit a bit, bit more about that in some detail later in the pod. Today, our three is a fours. We're joined by three excellent guests. First up, we have Oliver Miller Farrell, part of the OptiPro team. Ollie takes the lead on our work in North America, working with clubs across the region, be that at the GM level and also with the uh, the analysts as well. Ollie, welcome to three at the back. Thanks, Ryan. Great to have you on today. How have you found your time in Philadelphia so far? Yeah, it's been good. It's been good. And I'm excited to uh, have a couple more days here. So um, it's, it's not over yet. Lovely stuff. And you were Orlando for the Combine last week. Is that right? I was. Yes, yes. And I only went to the pool once. But it was um, it was good. It was busy. Obviously, the, the lobby in Orlando with all the MLS clubs and GMs is, is exciting to see. Um, a, lot of, a lot of deals being done just, just in the lobby of the hotel. So it's, it's always a fun time. Good stuff, good stuff. And joining Ollie, we've got Johannes Harkins, data scientist at OptiPro, and has been on the pod a few times. Johannes, you uh, presented yesterday, and I think we're going to hear a bit more about that later, but uh, thanks for joining us on the pod. Thanks, Ryan. thought my work was done, but you wrote me. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, we have, um, we have another new guest. We have ESPN senior researcher Paul Carr. Paul brings a, a wealth of experience and expertise to the sports data industry and gave an excellent guest talk last year at our Opta Beyond Heatmaps event. Um, from a quick look at Paul's Twitter bio, it appears you're not only a senior researcher, but also deceptively handsome. That's what Mike Greenberg called me, so I'm going to trust his opinion on this one. I think we can all trust Mike Greenberg's yeah, opinion yeah, on that. I think that's fair. Um, thank you very much for joining us. It's good to be here. It's good to be in Philly. I got a roast pork sandwich at Denix, so I think my work here is really done, but I'll stick around anyway. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Good, smart not to take a stance on Pats versus Gene. Yeah, so just avoid that one completely. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about that, yeah. Have you got a Philly cheesesteak? Uh, not yet, not yet. Oh, we got to go to Patrick Gina's. We got to have both. You got to have two Philly cheesesteaks. Two. In one go. Yeah, yeah. That's what everyone does. Yeah. It's the Celtic Rangers. Of yeah. Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Something to look forward to. So, Paul, could you start by giving us a brief introduction about your, your current role, your background, and yeah, a bit, bit more information there, please. So, researchers at ESPN, there's a researcher on every show. We're part of the ESPN Stats Information Group, so most of our stuff is statistical or historically minded. Uh, so, someone's on every show, so we are pitching ideas, like, hey, this statistical trend I think we want to talk about. We're pitching the stats to support things. You know, analysts thinks this, well, we have some numbers to back it up. Uh, all sorts of things like that. We're there to answer questions for talent, for producers. Uh, we're there to build graphics. We also... Outside of the studio shows, we're doing things like writing game notes for the major games on our air, where we're putting all these stats into the notes that go to the talent and the analysts and the producers. And there's also an element of live in-game support, where people on the production, someone in the truck or someone in the booth, has access to our chats that they can ask questions, we can give them the information right away. Those are kind of the three high-level things from research that we handle most of the time. Perfect. And while the, the end audiences might be different, the processes that you've just described sound very similar to what an analyst will be doing in terms of working with coaches, both pre-game, during games, and, uh, and after game as well. How do, you, um, how do you see the overlap, the similarities, the difference between that world of sort of prof- the professional game and the media side? Obviously, a lot of the talent doubles up and sort of will have both hats on. How does that work from your perspective? Lots of similarities between, I think, a club analyst role and 
what we do at Stats and Info in that a lot of times the club analyst is taking the data, figuring out how to best sell it or present it or translate it to a coach or to a player. And in a lot of ways, we're doing the same thing. We're taking all this information that we have and we're figuring out maybe what's the best note or how can I get an analyst to buy into this or how can I get a producer to want to do a segment on this. So there's a lot of you're the guy that sees both sides and you got to figure out how to bring those two sides together. So it's very similar, I think, to what an analyst does at a club level. Different end goals, exactly. but, but what you're doing is very similar. Yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, we definitely heard about that from the panel yesterday. There's a bunch of people who are in varying club roles who talked about their approach to that. I mean, what's your approach to like talking to talent and talking to someone where you're trying to feed them a stat that might be anywhere from something like simple and surface level to like maybe have some deep analytical model behind it, whether it's like expected goals or like total QBR at ESPN. How do you like get them interested in it or like convey it to them in a way that like they get excited about and want to use it? I think at, when you start working with an analyst, when I've started working with them, you always you have to build the trust first. And one of the ways that we can build trust is to kind of tell them what they what they're thinking or help back them up. So if I'm watching a game with I use this example from the World Cup in 2014. Watching a game with Alexi Lawless in the studio. We're standing there watching Portugal play somebody, something. And he just said something like, hey, you know, Ronaldo's just disappeared here at the end of his half. Where is he? has got to do something. So I'm thinking, okay, how can I quantify this and back him up? So I look up, hey, he didn't have any touches in the attacking third in the last 15 minutes or something like that. So then Alexi sees the value in it. Whether or not he uses the number on the air, he at least gets it and you see something else that's available. So you start by kind of helping them out, backing up their points, and then you can evolve to maybe pitching them on, hey, what do you think of this? And then maybe you're giving them something, you're playing something in their head original, and then they can take it and run with it. And it, so it kind of can go both ways as you build that relationship. Yeah, sure. I always find it like really interesting in terms of what you're saying. I think the, the end goals, are, you know, are, are very different, though the, the process and the approach can be similar. So, you know, at the end of the day, I think what, what you're looking to do is, is um, you know, enhance the commentary, the storytelling for the talent in order to engage fans and consumers where on the pro side, I think it's, it's more oriented towards obviously smarter decision making, minimizing risk and, and, and things like that. So um, it, it's similar how you can approach something so similarly, but, but have very different end goals at the end of the day. I feel like that's something that people maybe overlook a little bit is that fans are interested in that decision making and like what the teams are thinking about when they're trying to like change in the second half or something like that. And I don't know, maybe this is misdiagnosis on my part, but I feel like that's much more like part of the way people consume sports in America is to like want to know the inside decision making process of like... right clubs and what stats they're using and, stuff and look like at that. former coaches that become talent right like mm-hmm. Richard Martinez or, or even like what we're seeing from Tony Romo in, in terms of what he's doing in the NFL mm-hmm. I think yeah fans are very interested in how players coaches think about the game and, and make tactical decisions so yeah maybe we're seeing more and more of an overlap of that nowadays in, in terms of the kind of the evolution of it all yeah I think obviously traditionally we might think media just use data to explain the game but there's often an element of influencing as well what's going to happen next if Ronaldo has disappeared what can Portugal do to bring him more into the game? How does that side work? And you mentioned Tony Roma there um, on the NFL side of things, if I understand correctly, and really sort of made a mark in terms of his understanding what's going to happen next and trying to influence the game from that perspective. He's like a wizard on the board. Yeah, he yeah, just it's like knows exactly what's going to happen. Exactly, yeah. And I think, I think that's, that's linked to, to, to not under, underestimating the fans and what they're interested in. In the same way that I think Devin picked up on in the panel discussion yesterday, not underestimating coaches and their ability to 
interpret this information and apply it. I think there's a risk that that can often happen because we, we approach that way with such sophisticated models, that can be a risk. Yeah, I think part of that is something else Devin said about giving them the story. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't, people don't always need the numbers themselves, but if they have the story, that can help. And, and we see that on broadcast where you know, Taylor Twelman asks me for, hey, I think this guy's playing better than he is, than his assist total indicates or something. Can you help me out with that? And then I can look at the underlying numbers, say, well, he's you know he's still chan- created the same number of chances as last year, or he's been involved in as many you know buildups that lead to shots, something like that. He doesn't have to use those numbers and get bogged down in them on the air, but it can inform what he's saying, and he can say, hey, Clustion is a lot better than people think he is this year. He's playing just as well as last year. You know, Bradley Wright Phillips just isn't finishing. Right. So he doesn't have to get into the nitty gritty of expected assists or chances created. But it makes him smarter, and, or you know, maybe they find video to back that up. Or something yeah, like that. the it, visual it, side of it. It's a springboard yeah. to uh, to good analysis. Yeah, sure. and you can use numbers to shift the blame from American players onto British players. <laughs> that's, that's really our end goal. We're, yeah. we're, we're a big shill for the yeah. American player, right? Yeah. Excellent. And before we um, before we came came to record, you mentioned a bit about working with Roberto Martinez when he was um, when he was at ESPN. Oh. How um, how did that work? Did he almost have his his coach hat on as well as his uh, his pundit hat? Roberto was fun to work with because uh, he would come in every morning, you know, the days he's working, come by the research table and like try to pump up the troops. Like, hey guys, what do we got? What's our, what are our big numbers today? How are, how's everything looking? So you can see how that uh, kind of infectious attitude almost would translate pretty well uh, at, at some level to a club. You know, m- maybe it wears after a while. I don't know. But you can see how the enthusiasm uh, would kind of seduce almost an owner into would want to, to hire him to do something. And Roberto's a good example of once you expose an analyst or a coach to data, what they can then do with that. Then they can come looking for things. Start with our analysts a lot where we're kind of pitching them things that may match what they think. Then we want to show them, here are our data capabilities. Mm -hmm. We're not saying you have to dive into the website and the databases to look, but we want you to know what you have. So then it comes to something like Roberto, where uh, I remember an Italy game where he's asking about Pirlo's. Like, how many passes did Pirlo complete in the first half? You know, it was led the team or something. And then he's like, how many of them were forward? And it was a very small number, and it was a very small number compared to the percentage he played forward in the previous game. So then he can come on at halftime and say, look, Italy is holding on to the ball, but they're not doing anything with it. Whether or not he brings the Pirlo number in, you know, obviously, as a numbers guy, I'd love to see him do it. But the point is, he has smart analysis. It's backed up by the data. And so once he knows what we have, we have this passing information. He can know what to look for and ask for to help support his points. Right. Too. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's almost like what we were discussing earlier. I think he, he knows what questions to ask, which obviously makes your job easier. And I think ultimately helps kind of enhance the commentary. But yeah, I think your role is it, it can be tricky. And, and even on the pro side, I think it's, it's a process of obviously um, letting them know, you know, what, what there is available in order to kind of, um, you know, uh, support everything that they're doing, but, but equally to understand what, what questions they can ask and, and how to ask those questions. And, and that, that's a kind of a, a two-pronged education yeah. effort, isn't and, it? And the coaches can make data people better too. Sure. Because they come back with these yeah, questions. Yeah, exactly. And they're like, oh. I didn't think to look yeah, at the right. data. We didn't think right? to look at yeah. it that way or, you know, we have that data, but it's not functional. So now we can just add a, a tab a, to yeah. the website and it's easy to find. So once you open that door, the ideal thing is that it's going both ways. They're yeah. helping you be better. You're helping them be better because, especially on these teams, they're all going the same direction. Yeah, yeah. And same extent, kind of in the media. You know, we're all just trying to make good TV, or yep. good yeah, yeah. digital content, or whatever it is. 
y'all trying to do the same thing. So you want to get that door open so you can go back and forth and yeah. make everybody better. It's what I said over and over, I guess, at the event yesterday, but I'll say it again. It's, you know, it's a, it's a synergy of perspectives, mm-hmm. right? And at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's best when those come together and, and support each other. So. And that back and forth, Johannes, is that something you found in your work on, on the OptiPro side of things in terms of developing metrics or applying them? Have you, um, I know some, some analysts are quite, are quite engaging in terms of what they think is valuable, what's worked, what perhaps could be applied. Yeah, I mean, I always like to sit near people and like canvas the opinion of people. I guess within Opta and Opta Pro, we have a bunch of people who have experience on the club side and yeah, have a wealth of experience doing like performance analysis or tactical analysis and having them help us shape the metrics, I think is like hugely important. And they come up with stuff that I never thought to like look at in the data because my background is different. And like even things like collection like the way we collect data like i like i like sitting near oliver because he used to collect the data so like getting to ask him about that stuff helps me understand it better looking at it from uh you know sort of such a broad range perspective like looking at such a huge sample yeah. of data understanding the minutia is really important and right Oliver helped me with that and the limitations i think like everyone always is like you should collect this this and that but you know yeah. when you really understand the process and the methodology and you know you know ensuring the integrity of the definitions you know it, it's it's quite complex at times so it's important to kind of understand you know what's what's important and, and you know what's what's possible at the end of the day so yeah and i also would say like in addition to people inside the company i've worked with people at clubs and stuff like that and they've you know brought up really smart ideas or asked us if we can do something with the data that we didn't have ready for them and then all of a sudden it's a process of like trying to figure out how to quantify that and you have a new metric or a new measure that you hadn't previously thought to construct yeah and that links as well to on the analyst side working in in that environment to have to know the sport as well and understand what coaches mean what the talent means when they're trying to get these decisions across or ideas across and being able to interpret them and not just seen in isolation as a numbers person you're actually part of the sport you're immersed in that but the skill set you're bringing to the table is that the the analytical quantified edge that's where we always say the editorial judgment comes in you know i don't want to be giving an analyst um whatever like passes completed or possession type numbers if there was a red card and it's obviously going to skew everything for the rest of the game. So you just got to that's you just got to be smart. You got to think about it. If it's something that is going to be skewed for one reason or another or is almost overly intuitive, then you know, you don't have to use the same numbers all the time. That's why I have this wealth of data. Right. Try to find the one that best tells the right. story. And Do I think you, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to ask if there's one part of like soccer analytics, I guess, or like some of the more advanced stuff that you guys have access to or have seen out there that you find yourself going to as one of the most salient points narratively? I think it really just kind of depends on what your, what topic are we talking about? You know, right. like on a single game, I think we may talk about expected goals like from a single game. I think that's interesting, but you got to use it smartly. There's sometimes right. it doesn't tell you anything that you can't get from shots or it's just, you know, whatever. Manchester United wins a game 4-0 and the expected goals were 3 to 0.5, whatever. Okay, right. we knew that already. Um, so there's the editorial judgment comes in on when to use uh, something like that, but I think you know the uh, expected goals are great, obviously for goal scorers. You know it, they're the way you would think. They're just kind of that next level of your normal stats. So when we're dealing with midfielders and chance creators, then you're looking at chances created or expected assists or kind of passes completed in certain areas, things like that. So I think it just kind of depends exactly. It varies by position, mm-hmm. team, things like that. So there's everyone kind of gets your handful of. 5 to 10, 15 things that you kind of go to first. That ties in quite nicely. I think I've got written down here, expected goals on the single game, discuss. So that brings it in quite nicely. Ollie, I'm going to start with you. Yeah. Um, 
discuss. Listen, I mean, I have to wear two hats, um, you know, in, in terms of the work we do on the pro side and the media side. And, and um, as we discussed kind of earlier on, the, there's different end goals and, and different objectives. But, you know, when it, when it comes to something like expected goals, I think on the pro side, the use case um, can be very different than what we discuss on, on the media side and, and, you know, in terms of broadcast and fan engagement. And I think Johannes and I are constantly going back and forth, which I think is good because it's good to have both of our perspectives. But, you know, I think you can appreciate that expected goals was not built for, you know, single games and, and certainly not single shots. But um, at the end of the day, it, it is something that fans could be hungry for. But like Paul said, I think it needs to be used smartly, right? I, I don't think we should be seeing expected goals number after every shot. But at the same time, I think, you know, if you see a shot and you're in the pub and you say, oh, he should have scored, um, equally, it'd be nice to get the perspective of, of what the expected goal value was. And I think, you know, you just need to understand that there's limitations to your own uh, opinion and, and subjective analysis, and there's equally limitations to an expected goal value. Yeah, for me, it's an interesting balance to strike between you created this model and you want people to engage with it and you want it to be like part of the conversation and to gain traction, but you also don't want people to twist your words in some way or twist what the data is, what you're trying to surface from the data. So I don't know, I try to be open to uh, different use cases for it and try to uh, exercise editorial judgment, like Paul said. And I don't know, it's a tough balance to strike, but ultimately the goal is to get people to engage with data and engage with the stuff that you're doing. So you have to be open to like trying to make it work. Yeah, single game level, I see it, expected goals as, it's basically an advanced box score stat. Just like all your basic soccer box score numbers of shots and corners and crosses, offsides, whatever. There's issues with all of them. Right. So it's the same thing with expected goals. So there's games where, you know, if you're putting up a good stat panel from a game, you're not going to put fouls because it doesn't tell you anything. Yeah. It's the same with expected goals. There are times where it tells a great story that, hey, this game was nil-nil, and maybe the shots were almost even, but look, Arsenal was creating way better chances than Southampton was, and then it tells you something. There are times where it matches up with shots or... It just doesn't tell you a story, then you don't want to use it. Do or there's you... some clear game context where, you know, the small sample limitations come into play and there's, right. like, you know, uh, someone who is observing the game closely will be able to tell you what right. the, what was sort of missed by the context. Yeah. I mean, do you think expected goals should be a row in, in this new age box I, I would like to see it. Because, I mean, you, you think about corners, right? It's like, that doesn't say much. And so, you know, the argument is, yeah, like you said, you have to understand that not all of them are perfect, but what I would love to see is, you know, not only expect the goals being featured, but even some of the new possession stuff. I mean, seeing, a, you know, a team have 57% and, and the other one 43, I think that, that doesn't tell us much. But, you know, there could be some really interesting stuff with, with some of these new uh, models think, that are coming out. I think it's just a natural progression of, look, we have to start with goals. Yeah. We all know goals can be deceiving, blah, blah, blah. Team dominate doesn't win all the time. Then you have shots, which is, you know, a little bit broader. Yeah. can be more descriptive. You have shots on goal, which may or may not tell you something. But expect the goals is just kind of the next level of that right. in describing the shots that were created. Yeah, and then I guess, it, and you know, you probably know more than I do, I mean, it, it becomes an education process not just for talent, but producers and, and people even behind the scenes in terms of what they're, you know, what graphics are they displaying. So right. it's, it's really, there are um, there are a lot of cooks in the kitchen when it comes yep. to these productions. So it's important that everyone understands what it means and, and how to use it. And, you know, yeah, that, that, that's going to take time. People. And I always, I always tell them, just remember on a single game level, it's just descriptive. It's just right. telling you what right. happened. Yeah, it's not, yeah. And, then it's there for the analyst to add context. So just like uh, someone might say, whatever, Arsenal outshot Southampton, but Southampton had the better chances, 
XG can show that. It's the same sort of thing. It's yeah. not it's not prescriptive like it is on the macro level. Yeah, exactly. Goals, but it's just telling you what happened. And then it's up to the analysts. Like, we like to use our numbers in all sports. It's a springboard for the analysts to look smart or to expound on whatever they're thinking. So they can then take that and say, well, Southampton created better chances. And it was because, you know, so-and-so was over here and the defense was lousy and whatever it might be. And there's a good parallel, I think, at the club level of, like, the moment where you identify a descriptive stat that talks about, you know, a problem or uh, a pattern in the game. And then people with expertise, like coaches or whatever, it's their job to say, how do we solve that? Or, like, how do we make it different the next game? Or what tactical elements led to being a shot? We know Team X attacks... 70% 70% of the time through this player in this spot. Right, right. Then it's up to the coaches. Okay, how do we right. take that away? Right. I think Jamie Vardy is your classic example of someone who he tells a story. He's not constantly involved, but his expected goal per shot ratio is always high, and we know the way he plays. That's sort of, you know, he's on the end of things. He's not involved in build up that ball over the top. Those three balls is sort of how he, um, how he gets an end of the chances. So it works quite well on that level. So we've looked at it in terms of a single game and how it can be used. I want to quickly ask around, around the guests. Um, where do you see the expected framework? Where do you see it being best applied? Where do you think it has most value, be that on a player level, a team level, um, across recruitment, looking at styles? How do, how do you see that? I mean, I do like the single game thing when you use it right, because yeah. I think it can at times tell you things. Uh, it can back up the eye test better than a lot of other stats. I mean, I think you can use it at all these levels. And I, I like using it, you know, we'll say around the halfway point of a season. Like last season, uh, well, Zlatan was very... He only had a couple of goals in the Premier League, but he even said in an interview, like, I'm getting my chances, I'm not worried. And they expect the goals backed it up because he was, whatever, five below his total or something like that. Or look at Ronaldo this season. He is absurdly below his expected goals total. So, you know, we got asked at work, is Real Madrid in crisis? And we're like, well, obviously in the standings they are, but you look how far they're underachieving expected goals, and it looks like they're, they're playing fine. And you yeah. see them succeeding in Champions League, so you know they can score goals. So you think they're going to bounce back. And then you set it up for uh, an analyst or a writer or something yeah. to maybe dive a little bit deeper. That's one thing I find kind of interesting about analytics is that there's a trade-off at some point with like our Real Madrid in crisis if they're underperforming their expected goal numbers. You know, if someone who is only looking at the numbers and sort of has their head in analytics might continue to say no, but at some point during the season, the answer is yes, right. no matter like they if they're out. supposed to bounce back at some point, it may be too late, depending on Real Madrid's right. goals. They're like a yeah. club that wants to win La Liga, the Champions League. Like If they're underperforming at some point, it becomes a problem. Yeah, they still need <laughs> right. to win games. Right. That's their primary right. objective. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and it comes down to the lingo, too. Like I love that you guys are saying like bounce back, right? At the end of the day, it's like they're underperforming. There's going to be a regression to the mean. I mean, it, But you're not going to say that to an audience. <laughs> you're not going to say that to a coach. So... Um, yeah, I think it's about how you describe it. And, you know, at the end of the day, like you can say he's underperforming his expected goals, but if you're describing it to someone, you can say, listen, you know, based on the chances that Ronaldo's getting, you know, we we would, you know, we, we would think that he would be scoring more so that there's probably, you know, if he keeps creating these chances or gets these chances, then you'll see the kind of the ball hit the back of the net. Yeah, it's what managers always say about the strikers. At least he's on the end of the chances. I'd be more concerned if he wasn't getting these chances than missing them, which is a fair point. The The nice managers say that. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) as soon as that camera goes, yeah. In the SPL, like getting bigger pictures, I think the recruitment angle is interesting for the expected uh, goals assist framework just because it can keep you from overreacting to a season or f- help you find an opportunity. I think Duncan did this at the Opta event last summer, how Gilfie Sigurdsson's expected assists from open play weren't really that great. Like he, I think he led the league or whatever, it was like at the very top in assists, but yeah. half of those were on yeah. corners or set pieces or something. Yeah. 
And if you're a club and you need that, maybe that's fine. But if you're looking for that number 10, maybe... Maybe you still want him, but maybe you don't want to pay. No, that's also, what is his value over the replacement like right. set piece taker that you already right. have in the squad or whatever? Like if they have Kevin Morales at Everton or right. whoever was taking set pieces, they have people right. who can so deliver. It a can set give piece. you some idea over a longer haul. Or, you know, maybe you want to, you can look even further, two or three seasons. Yeah. Or you see uh, somebody underperforming, and maybe there's an opportunity there. No, and, it's and important. And it can't be that simple. Yeah. But it can give you a starting point. I think. Yeah. Right. One thing that I think it like. I agree that it's valuable on like the recruitment level, but it's also I think something that you have to be careful with. Like I think one of the presentations yesterday from Luis talked about how do you estimate the skill of players right. in different competitions and stuff like that. And often he said I think which was a valid point that we often talk about expected goals within the context of this this so-called Big Five like European leagues where expected goals. Uh, at a player level, it's like relatively exchangeable between leagues. But then you talk about like, is Kyle Laren going to cut it at Besiktas? Like Vincent Janssen coming from uh, Holland to the Premier League, like other cases where you're making like big steps up or in like moving in different directions or different Put them in a different context. Right. And there was even there were some questions about Neymar with that a little bit right. last yeah. year. Like yeah. if you take him away from this Barcelona setup, is, right. Going to still perform, obviously, he has, yeah, but I think that's another fair question. To no, ask. absolutely perfect. That was a really enjoyable discussion and a nice way to end this half of the pod. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll come back to um, discuss more about yesterday's OptiPro soccer event, give a brief run through of the presentations and wider discussions in terms of what we we're able to learn, highlights, and uh, what we can look at going forward. Welcome back to Three at the Back. In this part of the pod, we're going to look more at the OptiPro Soccer event we held, our, our first event in North America, quickly run through the sort of overview of the, the presentations, the panel, what we saw, and then look at uh, aspects we'd learned from it, what we'd like to see applied, how perhaps we'd like to see not only the event, but the industry evolve going forward. So Oliver, as, the, uh, as our host for, for the event, could you just share a bit, a bit of information of the concept around it, what we tried to do, what we tried to achieve? Yeah, listen, I mean, I think it's it's something that we had been discussing for, for quite some time. Definitely something I personally had been interested in in, in doing and, and hosting um, since I started at Opta back in 2012. So it was very exciting um, for me, for us, and I think we, we really had a great turnout at the end of the day. So um, I think it was overall a really great event. And, you know, we had some really great presentations, um, which, which we'll discuss now, and then a, a really solid panel at the end um, with some pretty kind of esteemed panelists from, from around the the club world but also on the federation level so overall it's a great event i think it was it was great to get everyone together into one room and not just kind of discussing soccer analytics on twitter so hopefully something that we do um year on year after here and it was a a great foundation for us to build from so yeah i really really agree with that in terms of different networks from the same sort of industry community coming together and a chance to yeah to connect with those people to learn from them to get different ideas on the table just to sort of see how different people are approaching the same problems and we really discussed quite a a few different things i mean there was some very in-depth um you know analysis that involved you know um, data science i think there was more kind of on the performance analysis side with with video and then you know at the panel at the end i think we, we really talked about kind of like behavioral economics in terms of how we uh how we transact ideas with coaches anyone you know from from kind of that club level in terms of how we, we translate some of the work that these these people are doing and, and, and put it onto the to the field and apply it to um you know the decision makers and, and, and those that are, are really kind of using it at the end of the day. And Johannes, could you give us a brief uh, rundown of 
of the four presentations, one of which you uh, you delivered. Sure. Um, so first up was William Spearman, who um, at past attendees of OptiPro Forum uh, may recognize his name. He's presented for us a couple times, uh, and he uh, is uh, pretty good at working with um, tracking data and has focused on that in his presentation. So I think the first one he gave offered... Uh, a framework for like a pitch control map based on areas of the pitch and uh, nearby players and uh, the possibility of controlling the ball in that area. And then he built on that with a probability uh, of pass completion model or like pass execution, whether it would get intercepted based on like physical first principles. And now he's kind of rolled some of that stuff up into this uh, off ball scoring opportunity model, which he talked about yesterday, which had a lot to do with how players create opportunities by making dangerous runs and uh, how teams are able to convert those off-ball opportunities into uh, on-the-ball possession scoring opportunities. It was uh, super fascinating. Um, I always like hearing from Will. And then after that, uh, Luis Ucier from 21st Club, um, he talked about uh, 21st Club's World Super League, I think it's called, their team valuation model. Um, and they do it in a very interesting way, uh, which I didn't know uh, a lot about until Luis spoke about it yesterday, where they model every game based on lineup data. And the team strength has, uh, has lineup data as, I think, sort of a hierarchical parameter. Um, and in that way, they're able to sort of uh, not only assess team strength under different conditions, like is a key player missing, but they're able to assess team strength overall across many competitions globally, which is a really difficult thing to do uh, well. And then they also get the added benefit of talking about how players participate in this team strength on different sides of the ball, attacking and defensive, which lets you uh, maybe put some, some rough valuation on players relative to one another in a really interesting way across uh, vastly different leagues. So that was super interesting um, and good to hear from him. And then after that, we had Kevin Minkus um, from American Soccer Analysis who presented on the MLS draftees and uh, how well they do based on draft position and a number of other factors. So his approach was to look at uh, minutes played in the first year uh, of an MLS draftee's career as sort of a measure of like initial success and look at what factors into that based on different positions. I thought he did a really good job of building a model that accurately captured sort of the nature of the uh, output data in that a lot of players who get drafted don't play any minutes at all. So you have this very like zero inflated target uh, that you're trying to estimate. So he built this sort of two-stage model that estimated first, are you going to play any minutes at all? And then second, given that you are going to play minutes, how many minutes are you going to play? And he looked at uh, a number of different factors that went into that, including some of our own combine data, which I haven't even looked at myself, but it was super <laughs> interesting to hear him like find some value in that. And then lastly, I went and I spoke about um, uh, our possessions framework and how you can use it to analyze team styles and uh, how game state affects team style, specifically with MLS, and what factors influence that relationship between team style and game state. And then focused on a few little like tactical highlights that I hope gave an impression of how you can ask sort of like tactical questions of this framework and how it allows us to answer questions uh, quantitatively that um, some of the people like, you know, Roberto Martinez might ask of you, like Paul was saying before, it's about having like quantitative answers to the types of questions that people are going to ask of us. So that I think about sums it up for presentations. And then after that, we had a panel uh, moderated by Ben McCreel from OptiPro. We had uh, Devin Pooler of Toronto FC, Oliver Gage from Houston Dynamo, 
Lucy Rushton of Atlanta United and Tyler Heaps from U.S. Soccer. And so that's like a pretty broad range of background and experience and role. Um, and it was nice to hear them talk about, um, you know, their varying experiences working at like federations, yeah. clubs, uh, clubs in England, as Lucy and Oliver have done, and then people who've uh, changed roles. And we talked a little bit about some of the stuff they touched on, um, being translators for uh, different departments within their with their federations and clubs and how they get their message across yeah. internally. It was fascinating. It was such a mix of experience and perspectives, I think. It was a really good panel, yeah. yeah. And Paul, as, as a guest, someone who sort of just, you weren't, you weren't immersed in the, in the building around it or the presentations, how did you find it? What did you What did you learn from it? What, what ideas did you perhaps think, yep, I can take that away, apply yeah. it? Or, yeah, that's really interesting, something I haven't thought about. I think a couple things that kind of stuck out to me from a media use angle. Uh, Will Spearman's thing about off the ball, quantifying off the ball quality, basically. Right was interesting to me because, you know, you, you say that as analysts a lot. Like, this guy's making good runs, but they're not finding him. Or, he's you know, creating good space. Right, or, they yeah. need someone to get into space. You know, yeah. he's not doing this, something like that. So if there were a way to quantify it, that's interesting to me. You know, even if you're not using the numbers explicitly, again, it informs your analysts and your broadcasts. So, you know, you, you may not get in the weeds of, well, he's got a 1.2 coefficient of whatever, but you just are able to say, he's great at getting into space, and then you can find video. Like, look. Here he is. They found him. They missed him. Or whatever. So and so needs to get his head up and look. Whatever. Even outside of it, games it too, sets you can talk about like recruitment. Like this guy is making dangerous runs, right. but this team really needs a number ten to unlock the defense right. or something like yeah, that. Yeah, they don't have whatever. I was so, say yeah. it must be a great metric for a lone striker for a struggling team that's made those runs, but just can't be yeah. found every week. So that was interesting, um, and I like Johannes' stuff because again, it, it works so well on broadcasts, where just like before a game, you know. Every analyst play that play that. You know roughly how a team plays. You know that this team presses more. This team's going to sit back and bunker, whatever. And this adds information to that with the game state stuff. So you know you have evidence at least that uh, you know whatever the Red Bulls goes up one nil. You know they're going to bunker a lot more than Sporting KC or, or whatever it was, something like that. So you got you're putting your analysts in a great position, and you're putting your broadcast in a great position yeah. to look smart. So the Red Bulls go up one nil, then you know whatever we get Taylor Twelman right after kickoff, say, all right, now they've got the lead here with half an hour left. I expect them to drop back. Maybe they put, whatever, this sub in for this guy or should this guy's position from up top to the midfield, whatever it might be. Uh, it just puts him in a great spot to look smart, be smart, and educate himself, educate the audience, and uh, just just teach things and help us all learn a little bit more about the game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that the possession stuff that Johannes did, I think it's 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 it is and, and will be kind of the building blocks in terms of kind of like tactical analysis. And I think it's really exciting because of how intuitive it is, I think for us and then for talent and whoever it is. So um, I think it will be, I think we, we really only just skim the surface in terms of how it's going to, you know, continue to kind of expose itself in the mainstream. Yeah. And so yeah. much of it is already, like I said, it's already, Analysts are saying right, these exactly. things already. You know, Taylor a, probably yeah. knows that the Red Bulls bunker more after they score. Maybe there's a number to say, look, they bunker more than any other team right. after, when they go up 1-0 or something like or that. Or the story yeah, is that like, players know how much game state or other things affect the game, and then they can say, like, can you give me numbers about how or right. why? Right. Then you yeah. say they're the most, or they're in the top half, or yeah. the bottom half. Right. Or, or they tend to do this. They right. didn't do it in this game. Right. This is why they lost, right? There's right. so many right. different kinds of... They didn't close up shop right, exactly. like they usually do. Yeah, exactly, yes. exactly. Yeah, I think game state is almost criminally undervalued in terms of some of the analysis we've seen and just how much it does affect the overall game, how a team plays, how they set up, how they defend, how they attack, everything. I think it was nice to be able to acknowledge that. And um, again, something um, Danny Page, who was in the audience, uh, brought up about 
a presentation Gary Gillard de- delivered at the Opta Pro Forum in London a couple of years back about how certain teams tweak their style depending on where they are or how they if they're one down, if they're one up. Whereas I think it was Arsenal at the time, sort of that style remains true, remains true. I think it might have been Stoke from 2013, 14 with the biggest changes. And if you know how that team's going to adapt, going to change as well, that's that's vital information for a manager, a coach, an analyst. Well, look at what like the Liverpool Man City game from a couple weeks ago. Liverpool went up and really didn't change much of anything. Right. And City almost got back even. So yeah. you know, that's if you're a coach, if you're a media member, like that's something you want to know. So you know. If you're Man City and you're down three, okay, Liverpool's probably not changing stuff. Right. So yeah. we don't have to change stuff except, right. you know, pushing up Let's their forward or whatever yeah. it might be. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you also might have evidence that uh, many teams have tried to batten down the hatches against Man City and uh, not come out so well. Right, that didn't work either. That. Yeah, <laughs> there may not be a solution right. Yeah, so maybe Liverpool is like, well, if you bat now, it's not going to matter. Let's so go for five and six. Right, yeah. why not? Yeah. I think you can apply that beyond teams and look at manager trends as well. Certain managers will do the same things with the same teams. Do they, um, oh, we're one up, we're happy with one. We'll go and change our approach. You see that sort of transcend beyond, you know, you can, the side they're Yeah, you can maybe see a pattern in their substitutions too. Like someone, I don't know. I, I remember watching Arsenal games for a while where like Arsenal would go up and they'd throw on like an extra left back or something to like come in and shore things up. Like, yeah. you know, all their midfielders are now defenders. And Yeah, I think sometimes it's really predictable, isn't it? When you're watching a game and you see a sub warming up, you're like, oh, he's definitely going to come on first for this player because they're in this situation in this context, I think. Yeah. That's, a, that's a really cool part I enjoyed um, Kevin Minkus obviously looked uh, at how players might perform um, combine draft how that relates to, uh, to future performance I think that's something that was quite nice and obviously a unique challenge faced by, by those in the audience yeah and I think it was like it was, it was a, a good pathway for us to go down right from Will's presentation on kind of like spatial analysis and you know European leagues to kind of Luis talking about some of the boardroom level decisions they're doing and then going you know all the way to combine draft which is unique in MLS but obviously talking about you know young kind of college players um, and then to kind of cap it off with what Johannes did with possessions I think it was it was a, a good mix but also like a, a good pathway and a good flow I don't know if we or- even organized <laughs> like that on purpose, but it ended up being really good, I think. Um, so all, yeah, all intentional. I was going to yeah, say, right. I'm Everything's taking credit for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. it's nice that analysts are, they're so busy with the next game, with the request that they need, you know, from the head coach, from managers, to be able to undertake that longer term work that could inform not decision making for the next game, but perhaps for the next season or for over the next two, three, five years, to have a chance for, for this new group to come and present those ideas that perhaps have a longer term strategy behind it. I think that's a really nice, nice approach and gives those guys a chance that they wouldn't have access to elsewhere. Yeah, and what was like interesting about the, the panel discussion was I think a lot of, you know, the, those that were on the panel definitely had hopes that they could um, add more to their department. And I think they, you know, they're, they're quite lean oftentimes. Um, so it was interesting to kind of discover and see some of those challenges that they face um, and how they how they approach kind of showing the value of adding more resource to their teams and, and you know, some of the work that they're doing that, that just really shows and earns the trust that, you know, the, the stuff that they're doing is informing better decision making and, and really is kind of helping teams win at the end of the day. So Yeah, and Devin's note about when he sees public work or something he's seen online or yeah. share, and that's what, okay, that's inspired me. I need to look at how I can do that or how I've triggered another idea. So that is the perfect ammunition I need to to pester Johannes more to, to get to on the blog side of things. But um, it was interesting just to see how much you take in from different areas. And that probably even extends to other sports as well. He probably picked it up from that perspective as well. Yeah, I, know I think of baseball. 20 years ago, we'll say, when Baseball Prospectus started online, there wasn't. it was the first real public analytics thing, or one of the one of the first, Bill James is going before, but whatever. But so that helped drive it publicly. And I don't know how many Baseball Prospectus guys now work for major league teams, 
and every club has multiple analytics people, and because so many people had access and could see it, both in clubs and out of clubs, it helped drive it. And yeah. soccer is a little bit different just because of the way the business models have developed, and it, it makes sense. But those public things often do. They can trigger something. Yeah. It's people working with different uh, agendas. Like you said, when you're w- working for a club, you're so locked into X, whatever it might be, match prep or transfers, whatever it is, that you often don't have time just to kind of let your mind go and see what you can come up with. So it's, the public sphere is an important part of the any analytics community, I think, in the sports world. Sure. And two baseball prospectus guys actually ended up running a like a non-major league team, right. independent yeah, league book. team. Right. Yeah, did you read that book? Uh, uh, the yes. only rule is yeah. it has to work. Right. Yeah, I thought that book actually had a lot of valuable lessons about like preconceived notions you have about the way that analytics is going to apply in the real world when mm-hmm. you're in sort of like uh, an environment that's divorced from like real world decision making with the numbers, and then once you sort of get into that role. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things yeah. to learn about how, like, you have to communicate it, I think, was, like, one of the lessons of the book. And then some stuff is just, like, you have this pipe dream about what you want to try, and it just might not be feasible. And it goes back to what Devin touched on it. We touched on it about how the best stat or best number may not be the best way to get it to a coach. Yeah. Or we do, it happens in TV, too. Like, the very best note I might have about a game, uh, we'll say it's a football game, might be about, uh, whatever, how this linebacker had the game of his life. We're not going to talk about that linebacker on Sports Center because we have Matt Hasselbeck on, and he's going to talk about Eli right, Manning. Right. So you know, sometimes you have to get that second best note that's yeah, right. about the a better topic or a, a more easily accessible topic. And it's the same what Devin was saying with the coaches. Like, you may not have the very sometimes the very best number or the most extreme number might not be what makes sense to the coach. Right. You have yeah. To have that sense to be able to speak to them in a better yeah. way. It's yeah. like who you're talking to, but then another point that was raised was the timing of it. And I thought what was interesting was yeah, when was... some of them were talking about like holding, you know, like a, a bullet in the chamber and then waiting for the right opportunity to kind of present it. Like that's, you know, that can be really frustrating to kind of keep that in. But at the same time, you know, that that timing is really important in order to kind of communicate it to those people. Yeah. Donald Barron, who was formerly at Norwich City, on, uh, said their head of analysis mentioned the exact same thing in terms of, we often hear about the communication being such a, a key part of the role, but Often we don't hear enough of like why, what does that mean, what does that look like? Right. And timing was key. If you've got people's precious high tensions up straight after a game, it's not the ideal time to say actually these numbers. Mm-hmm. So I think <laughs> you really weren't that good. Yeah. Even though you won. Shut up. Yeah. yeah. Maybe not maybe let's uh, yeah give it time. What it's a great to... way to hear the three points are the only stats that matters or whatever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we got the points. What do you know, analyst? Yeah. So um, yeah, that was that was a really really interesting moment. I think all the the panelists with their, as you said, with their different approaches, different backgrounds, different perspectives, made a really insightful uh, insightful discussion. Yeah, no, definitely. I thought it was yeah. Listen, it was it was a great event. I was um, I was very happy, and I think uh, I think everyone enjoyed it. I think um, we had a, a good you know kind of post event drink session after, which I thought was really good to kind of get everyone together. Obviously, yeah, I'm going to mention that. Um, <laughs> But yeah, no, no, no. Overall, it was it was really successful, and I hope everyone else felt the same. And I, I think it's um it's exciting for us to build on it. I think you know I don't know how many we had in attendance, but I think we would we would hope to really kind of double that and, and even triple that in years to come. Yeah. No. Yeah, that's a lot of people. You can start working on next year. Yeah. Yeah, right. No, I think it was, there's Me such too. a huge soccer analytics community here. And to be able to bring everyone yeah. or to be able to play a role in getting people together and to be able to connect on those ideas was quite, was quite nice and good to be able to see that, see that happen. Yeah. I think I'd say a nice place to wrap up for, uh, for this pod. Uh, Paul, thank you very much for joining us, taking the time. And Absolutely. Thank you. Good to be here. Excellent. Thank you for coming along yesterday. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Paul.
And uh, I, I think we can confirm that you are deceptively handsome. I think you've, while well, it's a pod, so other people might not if know. If this audio hasn't convinced anybody. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The sound of my voice doesn't yeah, tell you, exactly. then I don't know what I can do for you. <laughs> Uh, Ollie, thank you very much. Yeah, no, thanks, guys. This has been great. I actually have to go meet with a club analyst at one o'clock. So um, remember gonna, to communicate. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. This is. I'm. Mean, I'm all prepped up now. So <laughs> let's go. Good right. stuff. And Johannes, thank you very much. Anytime. Perfect. And thank you very much for listening.